and salutations people of God welcome to another episode of the Cornerstone podcast presented by Global Grace Ministries my name is Francis Wesso and I am the host of the podcast a few weeks ago we started a series called letters to the church we have been discussing the letters Jesus dictated to John the Apostle at the beginning of the book of Revelation last week we spoke about the letter to the church in Smyrna the church was located in a beautiful little city in the Asian Greek region of what is now Athens. The Church of Smyrna suffered much persecution for their faith in God and their faithfulness to Jesus Christ. For their faithfulness, Jesus promised them the crown of life. Last week, we also talked about the many Christians who have died as martyrs for Christ throughout history and about the thousands who are currently being persecuted for the gospel worldwide. People of God, we who can serve God in freedom must always remember to pray for strength and protection for the persecuted church. They need our prayers. Today's episode is called Entangled with the Devil, and in it, we will discuss the third letter of Jesus in the book of Revelation, which was destined for the church in Pergamum. Go with me to Revelation 2, and we'll read verses 12 through 17, which say, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has its throne. Yet you remain true to your name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Some among you hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Pergamum was nicknamed Satan's city because of its paganism and idolatry. One of the four generals who ruled the territory after Alexander the Great's death founded the city. Pergamum was a rich and powerful ancient Greek city in Mysia on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. A great altar to Zeus and Athena was built on their Acropolis. It was the world's most famous and ornate altar. It was 1,000 square feet and 40 feet high, with sculptures surrounding its base. Professing faith in Christ carries severe consequences in this city. Jesus starts his letter to the church by introducing himself as the one who has a sharp double-edged sword. The Bible tells us that the word of God is this double-edged sword. It separates the truth from the lie, sharply cutting to the quick. I believe he wanted the church in Pergamum to understand that who was sending the letter to them 
was not a sweet shepherd, but the king of kings who rules and reigns over everything and who is also a warrior. He tells them, I know where you live. In other words, you cannot hide from me. Psalms 139.8 tells us, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I lie down in the deepest parts of the earth, you are also there. There is no place in the universe where we can hide from God. We might hide our lifestyles from our pastors, relatives, and friends, but God knows exactly how we live and where we live. God knows what we face each day. He told this church, I know you live where Satan has his throne. Scholars here believe that Jesus was talking about the massive altar of Zeus in Athena at the center of the city. People from all over the world would come to Pergamum to worship false gods at this altar. Jesus goes on and tells this church, You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Now, we do not know much about this amazing saint. It is believed that the Apostle John ordained Antipas as a leader in the church of Pergamum. Tradition tells us that Antipas was casting out demons somewhere in public and had created an uproar in the city. The pagans of the city, which were the majority, were upset because, according to them, their demons were upset because Antipas was exercising authority over them. These pagans went to the governor who resided at the Acropolis and asked him to do something about Antipas. The governor put him on trial, and during the trial, Antipas was asked to repent from casting out demons and to return to his pagan beliefs. When he refused, they kill him. We do not know for sure if the description of his death is true, but tradition tells us that the pagan people of the city put Antipas inside of a brazen bull. This metal bull was hollow. They set a fire under the bull and cooked Antipas alive. Tradition also tells us that when the pagans will murder someone this way, they will get the body out of that bull, polish the bones, and wear them as jewelry. My friends, only demons can make people do something as horrible as that. To Jesus, it was favorable that this congregation did not renounce their faith even after such massacre. The church demonstrated conviction and courage by its mere existence. Yet, and this is a big yet, as he did for the church in Ephesus, Jesus had something against them. In fact, he told this church that he had a few things against them. Among other things, idolatry, paganism, and sexual immorality had crept into their congregation. The church had compromised their faith. Instead of them influencing their city, the city had influenced them. They lived a mixture of Christianity and paganism. Jesus told them, Some among you hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. History tells us that at that time, Balaam had become Zeus, but it was the same devil. The principal pillars of Baalism were child sacrifice, sexual immorality, and pantheism, which is a reverence of creation over the Creator. Adults will gather around the altar of Zeus, and infants will then be burned alive as sacrifice offering to the deity. That was what the worship of Zeus was all about and what the Church of Pergamum was doing. 
It may seem easy to point a finger at this church and say, how could they worship Zeus? However, if we do not exercise discernment, we may find ourselves doing the same thing with modern-day Zeus. People of God, I know many who call themselves Christians and have no problems with abortion. Most of them base their belief on the fact that many of the babies that are not aborted suffer extreme poverty and have very difficult lives. Therefore, instead of allowing these children to live difficult lives, they kill them before they are born. Isn't it sad that we, like the pagans from the Bible days, kill babies? I'm not sure how people who read the Bible justify abortion, but since that is not for me to figure out or judge, let's move on. According to his worshippers, Zeus was the god of fertility and life. For the city of Pergamum, Zeus was the rider of the clouds who brought the rain and blessed the earth. When Zeus showed up, according to them, the heavens rained oil, the rivers ran with honey, and the mothers gave birth to healthy children. In other words, they worshipped Zeus to get financial blessings and comforts. Doesn't that sound very familiar? Maybe it sounds very similar to the gospel of prosperity. Come to Jesus and he will make you rich. But again, that's not for me to figure out or judge. So let's move on. Jesus had also against this church that they had allowed the teachings of the Nicolaeans. These teachings were used to promote sexual immorality among Christians. They promoted fornication or having sex before marriage with various partners and all kinds of sexual sins. If that sounds familiar, it's because in some sectors of the church now, people believe that it is okay for couples to live together without being married. A large sector of the church lives under infidelity, addiction to pornography, sexual child abuse, incest, and promiscuity. Now, for couples to get to the altar as virgins is almost a miracle, and some people consider it ridiculous. My family... God exposed so much sin in his church in the year 2020 that it truly was the year of clear vision. People think that they can play with God, but the Bible tells us in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man rips what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Friends, let me tell you a personal story. Right after graduating from Bible school, I started working for a big international ministry. We did much good in the community, feeding the poor and helping families. We trained young people for ministry, sent many missionaries around the world, and the ministry grew fast. But our founder was in sexual sin. No one knew it. And God gave many opportunities to these men to repent. But since he did not want to repent, God brought his sin to the light. We had worked very hard for many years, and sin destroyed everything in a few months. I remember the night a prophet told the congregation that there was sin in our house, and that unless we repented, that house will crumble in six months. Because I had no clue of what was going on, I thought this man of God was nuts. God exposed the sin of our pastor, and two months later, from the day that prophecy was given, everything collapsed. Now the beautiful building that used to house our church and Bible school is a hotel. We cannot mock God. Christ, who is merciful and loving, told the church in Pergamum to repent. He wanted them to come back to Him. He always wants us to come back to Him. 
But at the same time, he also said, otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. It is essential to know that Jesus does not fight against his people. He fights against who corrupts his people. He fights against those who allow mixture in his church. Many people of God go to churches that never preach about holiness, sin, or repentance, but do not be misguided. The fact that some churches are not teaching his people to live according to the Bible does not mean that God does not expect his people to live holy lives. Many people preach a watered-down gospel in the name of tolerance, but if we are not preaching the whole Bible, we are cheating God's people. Please do not misunderstand me. I am not saying we should preach only judgment and condemnation, but we should not only preach about the blessings of God. Friends, it does not matter if we go to church every week. If we live like the world, we will have the same problems the world has. We can lie to ourselves, thinking we are saved, but we need to check ourselves. A good tree cannot produce bad fruits. If our fruits are the fruits of sin, then we are sinners. Today's church has become so fixated on being relevant that it has become irrelevant. The people in the world do not see any difference between Christians and non-Christians, and that is why they are not interested in the gospel. However, when we lovingly preach the whole Bible and love people as Christ loves them, I have yet to find one person who has rejected the word of God. People are tired of religion, but when we present Christ in front of them, it is difficult for them not to be attracted to what we preach. Let us preach with our lives the whole Bible. Let us cleanse ourselves from mixture and shine the light of Christ in the world. Jesus closes his letter to the church of Pergamum, saying, I will give some of the hidden manna to the victorious one. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. The hidden manna, or the hidden bread of heaven, is the grace that comes from Christ to live pure lives in a sinful world. The manna God gave the people of Israel allowed them to survive without consuming food offered to other gods. It kept them healthy and it kept them separated from sin. It was also a symbol of Christ, the bread of heaven. Since we will not need manna in heaven, I believe this promise of Christ was for the church here on earth. The other half of his promise is for the church when the church gets to heaven, to the victorious God will give them a new name. What an amazing day that will be when you and I receive our new name. Let us keep ourselves pure, my family. And if in them we find any mixture of worldly mentality, let us repent. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoy it, please subscribe to it and promote it with your friends and family. For information about our ministry, please visit our website, globalgraceministries.com. Blessings to you and yours. Thank you.